0: Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 488 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm Jason Evans. I'm here with Sam Klein and Donald Wine. There's going to be some angst. There's going to be some yelling. (laughs) There's going to be some frustration and anger as we recap what happened in that game against Virginia. We will be talking about the refs and the absurd blown call. We'll be talking about free throws. We'll be talking about turnovers. We have oh so much to discuss. And uh, I already introduced them, but I'll bring them in anyway. Uh, Sam Klein. Sam, how are you feeling this morning? Uh, Super Bowl morning. But we got, a, we got a hangover from last night, don't we?
1: I believe I was uh, communicating with somebody on Twitter last night about the whole endgame sequence. And I said, uh, would that we could all muster John Shire's composure
0: at times like this.
2: Oh boy, I was
0: hot. I was really hot. <laughs> it was not pretty. Donald Wine, how about you?
2: Oh, I was I was steaming last night, and it was uh, it was a familiar feeling because we've had to deal with in game situations involving Kyle Filipowski getting fouled um, or you know punched in the throat. Um, we've had to deal with that on a couple occasions, and I think the worst part about it. I know we're going to talk about it in depth. Is that the ACC knew they got it wrong and they issued that my bad kind of statement after the game, which is meant to say, Hey, we got it wrong, but it doesn't, it doesn't calm us down and make us feel any better about what happened. Gentlemen, I've got a
0: question for you. I, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the title for this episode, the way it will appear in people's feeds. I would like to suggest that the title be F the refs. What do you got? How do you guys feel about that? I, I would like to take a higher road than that. Uh, Dude, I think, come on, I, man!
1: I think you can do better. <laughs> I, I agree. think you can do we can We can
2: come up with something better
1: than that. Uh, also, we 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 determined just before recording that I will be posting this episode. So yes, uh, so I will get to choose this. This not you. Okay, uh, It's the well, uh, just editor's privilege. Just so the
0: people out there know, my suggestion was f the refs.
1: I might I might be going uh, with something more my speed. Uh, being extremely dry reference to the refereeing mistake. So okay. we'll, we'll see. Right. Uh, by the time anyone's listening to this, they'll know what I chose. I just haven't already know
0: what it is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's start with our headlines uh, and or, or they're actually, you know what change of plan. Let's talk about the ref thing first, because we did this after the Virginia tech game, before we got to the headlines, before we got to the good and the bad, there's sort of a defining Thing that happened in the game that is that is sort of falls outside the scope of all that other stuff that we will talk about first let's start with the the whole situation with the officials we don't need to recount it for everybody obviously the acc has now issued an official statement saying yep the officials messed up like that means anything i mean i don't even know why they bother i guess i guess Does it feel a little tiny bit better to know that they admit they made a mistake, even though there's no way to fix it? It's not like you can go back and march Kyle Filipowski to the line and have him shoot a couple of free throws and go, hey, game over. Congrats, Duke wins.
1: Ironically, this is the one thing that you could actually do. Like, like, like thing that you could actually fix at the end of the game is just send everybody back out on the court. Kyle Filipowski take two free throws. If he makes either of them, Duke wins the game.
0: (laughs) Well, let's be clear. No, you would not send everybody back out on the court because the, these are untimed free throws. There's no rebound, there's no nothing. He was fouled. They determined that the clock had expired, right?
1: Well, it it, it th- this is the the tricky thing uh because the explanation changed a few times over the course of the like minutes following the game. The final statement that the ACC made and I can I can read it. Uh, from the version that they sent out, oh, it's to the lots media. of
0: it's lots of gobbledygook. Well, right. So, so I was going to skip the reality all of the, is he the was,
1: explanation, but yeah. the 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 final verdict is that um, he wasn't fouled. And so, if they had stuck with the explanation that uh, he was fouled before, like if he was fouled after the buzzer, then it wouldn't have counted. Uh, if he was fouled before the buzzer, then he would have two free throws with like 0.2 seconds left on the clock.
0: No, 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 Sam. Let's let's be clear because uh, what the ACC said, and what the proper rule is, that even though he was fouled after time had expired, he releases the ball at at point two. He is then fouled, you know, two tenths of a second later or whatever. Even though he's fouled after time has expired, because it's still the ball still in the air, it's still the act of shooting. It is still a foul. Now that's what the ref timed. Right. That's what the refs got wrong. But there there is no time left on the clock, and he should be shooting free throws with no one at the line. Now, I guess maybe you would have him run around for a little while so he's tired or something like that. If you want to truly simulate things if you want to bring fans in and let them you know, do their thing in front of him that's but but none of that is happening.
2: I, I think the problem is that they did get it right on the floor by making the call right, right? Like, they
0: reversed it. that's the insane they thing.
2: reversed they basically said, hey, basically they said, Hey, this is a foul. And then they talked about it and said, Nope, we were just joking. There's no foul. When there clearly was, and it doesn't matter where it occurred in the act of shooting, after the act of shooting, 0.2 seconds left, whatever. The thing is, they got it right on the court, and then they reversed themselves and then tried to paint the picture of nope, we were just joking. This is not a foul. We're going over time. It didn't, they didn't say, Hey, it was after the buzzer, so we can't send him to the line they just said forget that play don't worry about that one that we're just going to go to overtime and play it that way and that's where I think they got it wrong that's where I think it it's it, it, it changes the game in the sense that it was a tie ball game and we could have won with those free throws again just one of those free throws we were nine for 12 from the free throw line so you know he's gonna he, the idea is he's gonna make one but the idea is that they got it right and then they changed it and I don't and they then they offered an explanation as if we weren't watching the same game. I think that was the bet, the worst part.
1: Let me tell you another sort of horrible part of this whole narrative. If if they go through with the free throws and Philipowski gets up there, Duke probably wins the game with Kyle Filipowski making one point in the game. And we'd be talking today about how he was like the most unlikely hero after 40 minutes of regulation because he made exactly yeah. 1 point in this game having Actually, missed he, 6 he, he,
0: he probably makes 2 because he automatically takes they they make you take both free throws even if you hit the first
1: okay but, so yeah. so he takes he We're, takes two free yeah. throws uh he had already he had already missed two free throws in this game so so yeah. let me say... by the
0: way sam the 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 depth of uh research and uh rule reading that i have done about <laughs> end of game free throws in the past 18 hours is pretty uh Pretty so that's 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 one of the biggest bummers for me, in
1: addition to the fact that Duke loses this game. And and when you zoom out at it, it looks like Duke loses by seven points at Virginia, which is like a totally expected thing. Uh, I, I think Virginia was favored by by five or something going into They're, this favored, one. By They're, They're favored, favored by, by six. They were favored by six. Duke loses by seven. So it's like, oh, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. And then when you look into the details of it, you're like, wow, Duke almost pulls off a victory here. Uh, covering and 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 winning the game, so uh, I'm I'm bummed about that. The the one let me let me give you guys the one pro UVA take on this that uh, everyone will find infuriating, but I would like to share it for the purposes of I acknowledge this karma. I think it was in 2016 when uh, Duke beat UVA in Cam. It was either 16 or 17. Duke beat UVA in Cameron and Grayson Allen definitely traveled. uh yep. when he when he made that final shot so I think this is the uh this is the settling of the karma from that game and it just took oh, it's, a few years it's not
0: just wait wait it's not just that uh it was I believe oh 97 I think was the year uh wojo, Steve wojo has that play Sam you may not even remember this you may I be do too not young. okay this is a really legendary play I looked for it on YouTube and I couldn't find it but I I read about it to remind myself Wojo has a play where there's a Virginia play this is at Virginia there's a Virginia player taking a free throw he hits the free throw there is someone waiting there's like six seconds left or 10 seconds left something like that there is someone waiting to check in at the scorer's table you know when a free throw is hit a guy is allowed they blow the whistle and a guy is allowed to check in and the horn blows for him to check in but the refs don't signal for him to come in Duke inbounds the ball to Wojo he runs to the other end of the floor he gets fouled he ends up hitting free throws to win the game for Duke. The Virginia player, like, uh, the the clock doesn't start. Like, the scorekeeper's confused. It was absolute crazy confusion. The ACC issued this huge statement saying the refs got it completely wrong, but it's not fixable. This is real karma payback for that in a big, big way. And I think one of the I, listeners
1: pointed out uh, pointed out this one as well, Jason. I, we got an email from uh, Jason Ossie acknowledging that uh, <laughs> that, that this was payback for that moment. So you're yep. not the only one who, who this came to mind to.
2: I wholly disagree with all of that because there's no karma to be attained from something that happened 26 years ago. There just isn't. The fact of the matter is, is they got the call right on the floor and then they decided they would rather see overtime than stay right. And I think that was just it was just an awful way to end regulation. And it leaves, a, a, you know, it leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth because you have to get the calls right. And that's why we have review. Right. Like this is where it gets annoying. Right. We didn't have review back in 1997. We didn't right. have review even in 2016, really. Like even then it was very limited. Right. It was it was mainly just time. And if someone, you know, they could check out of bounds plays like if, if the ball bounces off someone out of bounds. This one, they had the opportunity to review this play. They did and said, I know what we just saw was right, but we're going overtime anyway. That's where it's most egregious because they have the technology to get it right. They got it right on the floor. They looked at themselves getting it right, and then they changed it. All right, so a couple things as we wrap up
0: this ref conversation, and we do need to- We're wrapping this up. We're done? At some point. at At some point. At some point, we have to wrap it up, but I just want to get in a couple things. First of all, uh, Lee Castle, Tim Claherty, and uh, Jeffrey Anderson were the referees here. Those three gentlemen cannot, cannot referee a game in Cameron this season. Uh, there's just no, the ACC, there's no way the ACC will allow that to happen. It would be, the, the, the booing would be absolutely relentless, and I worry a little bit that some hothead might do something stupid like throw a drink or something like that on them. Uh, I'm telling you, those guys just cannot appear in Cameron.
2: Well, Jason, I mean, when we had the Virginia Tech game and Kyle Felpowski got punched in the throat and there was determined to be incidental contact, have those referees, because those are three different referees, have they, refere- you know, have they officiated a Duke game since then? Because that's the question. Frankly, at some point, Donald, going to run think, out of
1: referees. I think this is worse. I I, I think this is, the, I it's is
2: is way worse. This no, is no, way no, worse. no, 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 no. I'm not saying it's not worse. I'm saying that if they are still refereeing games, right, like. The, the ACC doesn't have this whole stash of, you know, of, of official officials. They can just say, oh, well, we'll rotate these three people off of Duke. Like the we, we get Roger Ayers every other game, right? We get the same officials, you know, repeatedly over the years. So if you're going to eliminate these three, I agree with you. I think that's wise, but I don't know if they have the I don't know if they have the arsenal to do it. Right. I don't know if they have enough officials to now because now we're talking about six people that they well, can't well, have Duke operate in Cameron and that's a lot of officials. As as we said,
0: uh, I I don't even I don't recall the names of the officials from the Virginia Tech game. I didn't bother to look it up. In this game, I'm telling you, I've seen those three guys names on Twitter extensively <laughs> in the past 12 hours. Like there are a lot of people who have noted Lee Castle, Tim Clarity, and Jeffrey Anderson's names. It's it's out there in a way that I don't think the other refs names were out there. Is it time and, for the
1: DBR podcast to issue our blanket? We don't condone violence of any kind statement. Correct.
0: Yes. yes, of course. Okay, great. I, I want to point out something. I'm a hothead. I'm a bad fan. I am do not, I think that Duke fans should not do what I say they should do next. So I will I will start by saying that. The, I would the, be thrilled. The following, the following the following is a... is a bad idea from Jason Evans. I would be so thrilled. I would love it if the next game in Cameron, and I agree, Castle, Clarity, and Anderson won't be there. But if the fans just lay into the the entire first half is nothing but some kind of chant about the refs. I'm not going to suggest the words they use. Pick a phrase. I'm sure you can come up with one. The entire first half is nothing but nonstop. You can maybe occasionally cheer when Duke makes a dunk or something like that. But I mean nonstop. And by nonstop, I mean throughout timeouts, you know, when the ball's out of bounds, no matter what is happening, the fans spend the entire first half chanting at those refs and letting them know how angry we are that we had a win taken away
2: from us. I, it, I, want, I want it to be absolutely unrelenting. Or you can just help the refs out. Every time we get fouled, everyone in the building just chant foul. Every single time Kyle Filipowski gets hacked. Foul. Every single time Jeremy Roach gets slapped as he's going to the lane. Foul. And just make it where they have to either call it or look dumb that they're sitting on the whistle wall. Ninety three hundred and fourteen people are seeing the same foul that everyone at home is.
1: I feel like I have more to say and
2: (laughs) I'm just at a loss for words. Can we spend
1: like 15 minutes doing headlines now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say let's move on to headlines. And oh, believe it or not, a few of the headlines have a. Have to have something to do with the referees. You I, I, I feel like that we out. need to
1: count how many we got on this one because, the, like, whatever records have been have been broken, and I, I feel are unlikely to get broken again.
0: Yeah, we're it's somewhere in the upper twenties or thirties. I didn't count them all. I did look through every single one of them. Again, thank you to everybody. Here are the the best headlines. I only picked out three of them, guys. I mean, maybe that makes me bad, but uh, so Clinton Weaver comes in with. Foul play committed in mysterious game theft, which I thought was pretty good. Wait, uh, Jason,
1: you're going to read Clinton Weaver's one headline without reading his whole progression of headlines? <laughs>
0: no, yeah, I'm not going to do all he, of it. He
1: first <laughs> sent us foul play sus- suspected in mysterious Duke loss. And then a few minutes later, he sent us another email that said, now that I've ha- had a chance to calm down, let me say. Uh, and then there were expletives uh, about the referees. And then he <laughs> sent us his third version, which is the one that you just
0: read. <laughs> yeah, the third version was the correct one. Foul play committed in mysterious game theft. Michael Slaughter submitted, uh, like he, I think Michael Slaughter submitted like 10, but the best of them was, and I love this, he put it in quotes. Upon further review, the correctly called play on the floor has been overturned because we're at home and feel intimidated. Michael, hats off, my friend. You are correct. I think the referees felt a little bit intimidated hanging out there in, in Virginia with the fans going crazy.
2: So for me, I my my initial headline was end of Duke UVA game, leaves foul taste in mouth, because I think we all had that kind of same line. But I think the best one that was submitted came from Brett Etheridge. It was simply gone in 0.2 seconds. I, I loved that was, one. I, I love that, that one. I,
0: I should have the other one that I had was Eric Blumenfeld had Cheated in Charlottesville, which I thought was nice and quick and pippy pithy. Um my headline my headline would have been flipped off. Ooh, <laughs> Jason, that was good. Off, <laughs> that was flipped great. Off and then under just that, just flipped off, and then underneath it would be a picture of the referees huddled around the monitor, staring at it like idiots. That's that's how I would have. That would have been the cover of the of the newspaper today. Sam, did you have a headline that you wanted to submit?
1: Uh, I wanted to highlight Eric Bishop's headline. Uh, his headline was "Blame It on the Bat a- 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 Call."
0: Uh <laughs> I really liked,
1: and then uh, uh, Jim Baumgartner sent us uh, one that he wanted us also to sing, but I didn't prepare it ahead of the ahead of the show. He he wanted us to do. I wish point two would equal zero to the tune of "I Left My Heart in San Francisco." Uh, but uh, especially because it's a Tony Bennett song, which is especially <laughs> fitting here. The one that I had, which I will I will also reference a listener on, is that my headline is "Let's Join the SEC." And uh, because I'm I'm done with these with these foolish ACC refs and their foolishness, and we had an email uh, from DBR poster Wilco, prominent DBR poster Wilco, who who is a is a great poster and emailer, who said, uh, "I historically considered myself an ACC purist. Now I care a whole lot less about the conference. I, it's hard to imagine we'd be treated worse in a new conference. I find myself silently rooting for its demise now." And uh, Wilco, I just want to say thanks. And uh, welcome to the club. I've been anti the rest of the ACC for many years now and on the record on this show. I don't root for the rest of the ACC. I don't care about them at all. I don't care if they play well in the tournament, even if it means that it's a few more dollars in the Duke Athletic Department. uh, If all the other ACC schools would uh, just be terrible at basketball, that wouldn't bother me one bit. So uh, I'm totally down with that. Totally down with uh, getting rid of all these terrible referees and firing them into the sun and just rooting for Duke and, and not caring about anyone else. It's us against the world. So uh, thank you, Wilco. And thank you to all those out there who are on team uh, Burn It All Down if they're not Duke.
0: <laughs> okay, guys, should we get to the game a little bit? I think sure. maybe
1: it's time. I guess I guess there were 45 <laughs> other minutes of game time that we have to talk about. Yeah,
0: exactly. All right, right, so let's start with the good because that's the way we do it. We start with the good. And uh, Donald, I'll go to you first. Begin any place you want, although you're not allowed to begin with Kyle Filipowski.
2: <laughs> no, I, I think I, I think looking at just how we could performed uh, last night, I think we owned the paint when it comes to rebounding. We had a 15 rebound advantage over the course of the game, 39 to 24. 24 rebounds is a very low number, um, so I, I commend Duke for for keeping Virginia off the glass, and I think that kept us in the game. Especially, you know, this game when you think about the actual game, uh, I mean there was little mini runs here and there. Uh, Obviously we'll talk about some of the things that we did poorly, but I think that we hung in there with one of the top teams in the country for 45 minutes. I thought that was, you know, commendable. And and looking at how this team played, I think the reason why we, you know, were so upset is that we thought that this is a game that we could pick off. You know, this is a team that, you know, is really, really good uh, in Virginia. And we were able to, you know, hang with them and really have a chance at the end to win it um, before we went to overtime. So um, a part of that was part of the, you know, part of the reason why we were in it is because we were able to get rebounds and go the other way and get, you know, get some offensive possessions. So uh, I commend us for that.
1: And Donald, we said in the preview for this game that it's Duke's rebounding against UVA's ability to force turnovers, both of which <laughs> were, you know, huge storylines in this game. And we'll talk about the turnovers in the bad. But uh, I think that, that Duke's rebounding effort is is crucial here. UVA sort of gives it up for you a little bit. They, they really don't try that hard to grab offensive rebounds. They're, they're one and done on their shooting, typically, unless the ball goes right into their hands. So I appreciated that. The other thing that I, I want to mention, and, and I know Jason wants to talk about Tariq Whitehead and his return, in a more general sense, before we get to Whitehead specifically, who is part of this topic, Duke's three-point shooting was very good in this game. Uh, If you remove the two shots, they took in overtime, by the way, when we're going through this review, I will be citing uh, statistics as if the overtime period did not happen as it should not have. If uh, if you just look at the the non overtime period, the regulation period, Duke was over 40 percent from three in this game. It it is part of a larger trend that Duke has gotten a little bit better. It feels like maybe you know, reverting to the mean for guys like Jacob Grandison and, and Dariq Whitehead, if he is now able to hit shots like he did last night. So I appreciate, and Jeremy Roach early in the game, setting the tone and and getting Duke that early lead. So I, I loved seeing Duke's three point shooting. Um, UVA is, is good at, at slowing you down. And Duke was, Duke was, uh, you know, some somewhat played into that trap a bit, but they were able to, uh, with the help of, of a lot of guys shooting, but also Tyrese Proctor's passing, make the three-point shot a major weapon
0: yeah i'm glad uh, you teed up the fact that i'm going to talk about whitehead uh the first of all the fact that he came back is a good thing for this duke team no question about that um he he was knocking off the rust a little bit in the first half but was really strong in the second half uh he played the entire overtime and uh you know it, he had 10 points in the second half he he had that little flurry of three pointers but he just looked like he was you know getting pretty close to being back to what we are hoping and thinking he he can be for this team. And and hand in hand with him was Jacob Grandison, who was our leading scorer in the second half with 11 points. I mean, if you had Grandison and Whitehead leading Duke in scoring, putting up double digit scoring in the second half against Virginia, please go cash your 500 to one ticket at the, at the, at the window. Cause man, that is, that was an unlikely result that that ended up happening this game. And it's certainly something worth highlighting. Uh, by the way, Jacob Grandison played the second most minutes of anyone on the team in the second half. He played 16 minutes of that second half. Only Tyrese Proctor played more and then Grandison then played the entire overtime. He, you know, it, it it was clear that that Grandison has, you know, found his way back into favor so to speak. And you know, the other guy I thought that was worth mentioning and you got to him a little bit was Jeremy Roach, who was really strong taking the ball the goal. In the first half he he hit those early three-pointers uh one of which the referees called a two-pointer at first because they're blind and you know they they are idiots but uh they later corrected it and made it a three-pointer but in, in any event after hitting those two threes i love the way roach was taking the ball to the basket again and again and being successful at it i i don't know why he stopped doing that in the second half i mean virginia doesn't really have great shot blockers in there and i i, I you know one of the things about roach it's sort of weird is he has these Games where he's great for one half and then does nothing for the other half. I don't I don't really understand it, but this has now happened multiple times with him anyway it's it it it, it, it was a real pity by the way that we lost him in, in the overtime. It likely doomed us when we lost him when we lost Jeremy Roach. and by the way, kind of a strange overtime lineup. did y'all notice it like Proctor Whitehead, Grandison and Ryan Young were in there like virtually the whole time Roach was in there then he fouled out and then we mixed in. Mark Mitchell, Philip Filipowski a bit, but it was, I don't know. It, it was a strange you know, game. I do to get to it yet, the, but this is, but
1: the, this is a little off topic of the good, but it was a yeah. strange game in terms of, uh, in terms of the lineup combination, some of which was driven yeah. by foul trouble. But Jason, why don't you save that commentary for the bad? Because I feel like yeah. it's a, it's a more, much more on discussion. that And, and, <laughs> and by the way, if we're, if we're staying in the good and talking about the coaching, um, I know that we got some emails and maybe you guys will disagree with me about John Shire's reaction to some of the refereeing last night. I will continue to stand on the side of, I like that John Shire doesn't emote that much on the sideline. I don't think that this Duke team is made up of guys that are going to react well to that. And I also don't think it's a good look, especially for a young coach to be acting that way. So I appreciate after the game that Shire was diplomatic in in a way, in, in his, in his reaction, he went to the, He went to the microphone for his opening statement and talked about how, one, he didn't get a clear explanation yet, so he's not prepared to react to exactly what the referees had decided to do at the end of the game. And then he also turned the attention right back on his players, talked about how he felt so bad for Kyle Filipowski because he knew that he had had a tough game and that in setting up that final play, which now I can't remember which uh, which, uh, emailer sent us a note about this, but uh we've gotten a couple emails about John Shire's out of bounds play calling Shire drew oh, up a fantastic Shire yeah. drew up a great out of bounds play they had multiple options there at the end of the game one of you know Jacob Grandison was available for a three Kyle Filipowski was rolling to the basket and had you know it, it felt like it was like a perfect play setup for that end game situation so Shire is is despite all of the setbacks here keeping it calm and and keeping the um, keeping the game plan really steady for these guys, and keeping the focus on encouraging Filipowski to recover quickly from having his worst game of the season.
0: And and as much as we fans really want Shire to be emotive and angry and all that other stuff, and as much as I'm saying, hey, the Duke fans should go out there and just you know all but assault the referees with uh, act like with Maryland work. fans. Yeah, exactly. As much as I would derive pleasure in that. I think that John Shire's approach is probably the smart one. There are probably many, many ACC referees, guys who ref ACC games who are, you, who think pretty highly of John Shire today for not being a showboat, for not acting up and getting himself kicked out or saying something in the post game. He certainly had cause. He certainly had opportunity to, to take those refs to task. And he probably earns at least a little bit of, of favorability in the minds of the entire ACC refing community for not doing that.
2: I, I agree. I think he, you know, he that should said a lot it of sucks. Please.
0: That said, I'm still pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean, it, it, in, here's the thing. We always talk about this. Everyone feels like because he's not emotive and because he's not throwing jackets and in, in water, you know, water coolers all over the place that he doesn't care. Like he cares more than all of us, right? Like this, te- he cares about this team, more than anybody out there. And the the issue that I see is everyone we said this all year that we should not be comparing him to what Coach K would do in a situation. And Coach K, they always say all these things start off with Coach K would have been irate on the sidelines. I don't care. And I'm not saying that I don't care about Coach K, but that's not John Shire. We didn't hire John Shire to be Coach K. We hired John Shire to be John Shire. And if that and I think what he is doing, he he's the, he's a rookie coach. You know, and it doesn't matter what, you know, what team he's for. He's not going to get the same level of respect as a coach that's been around for 40 years. Jim Beheim can yell all he wants, right? Because he's been around for 40 years. John Shire can't do what Jim Beheim does because he's been around for one season. And I think the way he handled himself and turning attention to his team and saying, hey, you know, we deserve this win. We We had these moments and we, you know, we had some things we need to work on. And not turning the attention and fueling the fire. I I give him praise for that. And I always will, because I think that's part of, you know, his competitiveness is not in the lines of you know being demonstrative. He can still be angry and upset without showing that in the sideline. And that's what he's proven. And and I want to be clear about something. I I, I too have
0: seen numerous folks on Twitter and elsewhere, emails, you know, and such saying Coach K would have gotten that call. Coach K would have you know, had the respect of those refs or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think that's complete BS. I don't think that when the referees were huddled around that monitor, when they were then talking to each other and trying to figure out what to do, they really thought at all about who was on the sidelines for each team. I I just don't. I don't think they, you know, we we joke about, oh, they were intimidated by the Virginia crowd, no, it's a home ref and things like that. I I I know some guys who ref not college games but I know guys who ref high school games and it can be heated and hot in a high school game as well and they've they've told me that that kind of stuff just doesn't even doesn't even begin to run through your head you're you're trying to you're discussing you're trying to make the best decision you're not thinking even remotely about who's screaming what at you or who the coaches are it it doesn't even enter the conversation
1: if any I'm thinking as a human here if anything it would occur to me to the refs if it was Jim Bayheim to to Donald's point, And I think they'd be like, why don't we just rile up Jim Beheim? Like, like he's, <laughs> he's such a, he's such a jerk about all this stuff. It's not, it's not who's going to come after us later. It's like, you know, a, a little bit of this is like sort of bully culture, but it's like, who's the, who, who displays weakness here? Jim Beheim displays incredible, uh, incredible weakness these days around his sensitivity about the refereeing and the media and all that stuff. I'd be, I'd be poking that bear all the time. Just to be like, ha, 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 look at look at Jim Bay. He's so old and out of it. Um, so no, I, I I agree with you, Jason. I don't think that the I don't think that the refs are are, are kind of look you know peeking over their shoulders and thinking like, ah, Coach K isn't there. We're we're fine. We can get away with nonsense. They're they're not going for nonsense. They're trying to get the calls right. That they did a bad job is is a, is a sort of separate issue. But they would like to just get the thing right and go home. I wanted to to mention one more good thing here. Uh, and and Jason, you can feel free to use this as a transition to the bad because I think it has a a clear other side of the coin. Duke did a very good job of limiting three-pointers from UVA. In regulation, UVA was just three for 13 from three, and uh, Duke was bodying them up pretty hard. Uh, Jason, the uh, the opportunity for the transition here is that maybe we should talk about UVA's two-point shooting as a bad, oh, but boy. Uh, yeah. really really happy with the way that, that Duke limited three-point shooting for UVA. It was it was one of the reasons that Duke was able to keep it close against the Hoos, in addition to uh, UVA performing their own free throw defense on themselves last night, which is neither good nor bad. It's just a just a simple fact, but I appreciated that as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a break and Sam is right. What comes next is the bad. We will be discussing the many, many ways that the Blue Devils Probably could have found a way to find that extra point and get a victory over Virginia. We'll have that for you coming out after the break. this episode of the Duke
2: Basketball Roundup is sponsored by
0: Better Help.
2: Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, Leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar.
0: That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist and help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want.
2: So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Duke Roundup.
0: All right, we're back from the break and time to dive into the bad. And, you know, I feel kind of awful that like as I look at my page of notes, my pages of notes, there's a lot more in the bad than there is in the good. And before we even get in the bad, I do want to say this, you know, playing Virginia as close as we did at Virginia, taking a loss at Virginia is not an unforgivable kind of thing. There are idiots out there who are like, oh, Duke's getting on the bubble now. Oh, this is you know, this loss really cost them. Uh, I, I I disagree with a lot of that. A win would have been way, way bigger than a loss, of course, but I still think the fact that this team played as well as they did and came as close as they did to defeating a top 10 team on the road like top 10 victories on the road, those are few and far between. So Jason, before we get into was, that, I just want to
1: say that this was an opportunity that Duke squandered to probably improve their seating. For the tournament, you know, like yeah, like, in a big like way. this win, this win could have gotten Duke to a to a four seed. Um, this,
0: this is a this is a one line, mm-hmm. maybe one and a half line win. I agree with you in seeding, yeah. But in the in the grand scheme, as you say, I agree with you that that this doesn't change the the overall. There's there's no bubble talk for Duke because they lost at Virginia. Exactly, exactly, and 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 honestly, and and lost at Miami earlier this week, and it and it should be noted, way better, way better to lose a game in overtime and and the final seconds than it is to have the kind of showing we did at Miami Uh, you know even though even though this week comes out zero and two the end of the week is is an impressive performance by the Blue Devils nonetheless okay that aside we do need to get to the bad Donald I'll let you go first because Sam and I've already talked so give
2: me your first thing in the bad it is turnovers um oh
0: there's a shocker (laughs)
2: <laughs> I know, I know. Stop me if you've heard this before. see that one
0: coming. Wow! Turnover. Um, really
2: stop,
1: stop you if you've heard this before, or or stop you and take the ball away from you. Uh, a
2: little bit of both, I guess. Sorry, uh, but here's but here's the thing. Sorry, right? I just stole the ball uh, from Donald. Yeah, but again, drum roll. Most, Where's the drum roll? i'm <laughs> Most turnovers this season. Again, something that we heard on Monday at our, our after Yo, the game. It was overtime. Hey, wait! It was overtime. That's it's fair, but still, twenty-two turnovers is twenty-two turnovers, and uh, that's—I mean—that's a ton of turnovers. I mean, we had guys that had five. Jeremy Roach had five turnovers. Kyle Filipowski had five turnovers. Tyrese Proctor had three turnovers. It, it as a team, we had four turnovers, like the offensive fouls and things like that. So it's—I mean—that has been our Achilles heel all season, taking care of the basketball and it seems like every single time we do improve in other areas it feels like that constant is we're going to get 16 17 18 sometimes 20 turnovers and those are going to kill you again we've talked about how taking care of the basketball against a good team is essential because you do not want to limit some of their some of these points because of the fact that you don't have the basketball and jason you know your your stat right here field goal attempts we had 49 field goal attempts UVA had 54. Even with 22 turnovers, we were still very close in a lot of these margins. The turnovers were the difference in, essentially and yeah, we can talk we, we talk for 20 minutes about one play, but it's 22 plays that uh should be the concern for Duke Blue De- or for Duke Blue Devil fans moving forward because 22 possessions went to waste because we did not have the basketball at the end of it.
0: Wow, Donald, I love that. We talk about one play, but 22 plays are the are the difference in the game. I could not agree more. I love that. Guys, do you remember a year ago, we would talk about turnovers, and I was like, hey, 12 is the number. 12 yeah. was the magic number. I was like, if we commit less than 12 turnovers, we win the game. We commit more than 12 turnovers. We're in serious danger of losing the game. Proctor, Roach, and Filipowski had 13 turnovers among the three of them, all by themselves, with no one else helping out. That's more than an entire team should have in a game, just those three guys. And I look, I I know Virginia is a really good defensive team and hats off to them. They've been doing this for years. Tony Bennett is an absolute defensive genius. But still, there were there were just all these moments in the game where it felt like Duke was on the brink of maybe stretching it out, having a comfortable lead where it felt like things were, you know, about to go really well for us and maybe Virginia would get a little bit desperate. And we would just commit turnover after turnover, and it would sap any momentum that we had. It, inc- it's just incredibly frustrating, and it kind of leads me into talking about Kyle Filipowski. I mean, what a disaster of a game. Five turnovers, 0.6 rebounds. I mean, remember back in December, late December, early January, where it felt like Flip had hit a wall. We were talking about the fact that, oh, you know, oh, I don't know that, you know, this guy's struggling. And he punched through that wall and, you know, hats off to him because he played great for a few weeks after that. But it feels like he's hit a wall again. I mean, this dude was a walking double double for a while. He hasn't had double digit rebounds yet in the month of February. This is a guy who scored in double figures in 21 of his first 23 games in a Duke uniform. And he's had, now had back to back games where he didn't get to double figures and he doesn't even get a single point zero points against virginia do we think flip's gonna punch through this wall do we think it's a wall or do we just think it was matchups i mean i don't know i do
1: think that uva was making a pretty concerted effort to let other guys beat them and not filipowski the 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 double teaming the pushing him away from the basket uh the 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 intense focus i don't know why more teams don't play duke this way because nobody else on duke other than filipowski has demonstrated a consistent ability to deliver offensively. You mentioned Jason, how Jeremy Roach usually has one good half and one completely invisible half. And so like other teams know this, right? They, they, they're they watching the tape closer than we are on, on how to defend Duke. And it's unclear to me that the teams have not gone full Tony Bennett against Kyle Filipowski. That being said, now he's seen it. And UVA is one of the best defensive teams in the country. They're one of the smartest defensive teams in the country. And now now John Shire can sit down with Kyle Filipowski and be like, look at all of this stuff. Look at all of the things that teams are doing to defend you. And if you are the NBA prospect that you want to be, this is where the, the John Shire sort of attitude and approach, I think, is going to, to pay dividends, is that he's, he can sit him down and say, look, if, if, if you want to be an NBA player, if you want to be uh, an offensive force at the next level, or even in the NCAA tournament, when we're gonna, you know, when when Duke is playing UVA's, hopefully later in the tournament and multiple of them, um, Kyle Filipowski, you have to you have to be able to work through all these things. You need to keep your head up. You need to be able to find open teammates. You need to hold on to the ball and not let silly turnovers derail you from all the scoring that you know that you are capable of. And so while I I think that this is a a tough sort of maybe it's a second wall that he's hitting. that doesn't usually happen to freshmen. Uh, I I think that this week is hopefully a huge learning opportunity for flip. And one of the things I'm going to be watching against Notre Dame, a team that does not have a ton of depth, that does not have the kind of like size and defensive skill that, that UVA has. I'm going to be seeing how, how Filipowski responds to all of this. And I am anticipating, let me, let me go on record and say, I think Filipowski is going to have a monster night against Notre Dame this week. Because I think he's going to learn from this. And I think this is a perfect opportunity
2: for Shire and Flip to to make improvements. I think for Kyle Filipowski, the the thing I'm not necessarily worried about him in the sense that it feels like to me when these things happen, like Sam said, he responds in kind, right? Like that yesterday was a pretty wild matchup for him. I think he only took, what, six shots. He's normally taking 10, 14 shots for us, right? And, and making a decent percentage of them and getting above double digits and and using that to kind of fuel um him, you know, and, and also with his offensive rebounds, you know, putbacks and things like that. He gets a lot of those. He didn't do that yesterday. And when he sees that, if you Jason, you remember the the when back in against Wake Forest and everything, he went on that little slump and he had a press conference where he was one. And he, he talked about being said, more physical. Yeah. I need to be more physical because the ACC kind of punched me in the mouth and I need to respond to that. And he did, he went on that tear throughout the month of January, um, you know, save for someone actually punching him in the throat. He responded to that physicality with physicality of his own. And I think the one place that it hasn't quite clicked yet for him is the fact that he does turn the ball over quite a bit, every single game. And it's because he wants the ball in his hands and he's trying to make something happen. Um, A lot of them have been the offensive, you know, uh, offensive fouls, charges. Um, But also he just, you know, he puts the ball to the floor and he's not quite the best dribbler. And because of that, teams kind of have been goading him into doing that because they know that's a weakness of his and they can take advantage of it. So he's going to work on that. I think that's the key to him is, you know, a lot of these opportunities that he does have and he, he touches the ball quite a bit in our offense. He needs to take care of the basketball because I think from there, the rest of his game has already, you know, even if he has slumps here and there, the rest of his game will improve. I think that's the one place he hasn't done it yet. And I challenge him this week against Notre Dame and then against Syracuse. Both, you know, Syracuse will be a nice matchup for him because there's going to be a lot of holes in that, you know, two, three matchup zone where he can just tear Syracuse apart but he has to have the ball in his hand to do it. And like I said, you have to have the ball in your hand to make something happen, and you have to take care of it when you do. So that's something that I've challenged for Kyle Filipowski over this next week, over the coming weeks, is for him to improve his care of the basketball. Because I think from all of that, all the rest of the stuff where he's kind of hit a wall wall on, he's going to punch right through that stuff. Yeah, when we get to the
0: Syracuse preview, we're going to talk about how Flip does against them, because I actually kind of disagree. Flip likes to go to the bucket, with the ball in his hands and that's tough to do against Syracuse because of the way that zone defense works you'll find yourself double teamed you'll find yourself trapped you'll find yourself you know spinning into trouble more often than not against Syracuse but we'll get to that later this week one more thing about the Virginia game i wanted to talk about that was frustrating to me let's talk about Derek Lively uh you know utterly ineffective but he barely had a chance to play you know he makes those opening free throws he, he then, you know, just a couple minutes later, he gets a nice offensive rebound that he relocates to Jeremy Roach, who buries a three. And then, like, Lively disappears for the rest of the game. And I know foul trouble had something to do with it, but I'm kind of mystified as to why, I mean, look, it's not like Lively was sitting on four fouls. He ends the game with three. I'm kind of mystified as to why John Shire played Ryan Young so much more than Derek Lively. Maybe he wanted, you know, a bit more smart passing, more of an offensive threat in the post, but Virginia destroyed, just massacred Duke on points in the paint. Virginia scores 42 points in the paint. They backdoored us. They got a number of of, of layups, largely uncontested. And I have to wonder if we'd found a way for Derek Lively to play a little bit more, if he would have helped with that. Wait, sorry, revise that statement. I don't wonder. I know for a fact, I will state it right here. If Derek Lively had played more than 10 odd minutes, if Derek Lively had played more like 20 minutes, Virginia would not have scored 42 points in the paint. I'm certain of that. I counted at least five times, at least five times that Virginia got layups in the face of Ryan Young, including a couple times where they got fouled and you know had opportunities for three-point plays. Derek Lively erases several of those. There's no question about that. And Virginia ended up hitting 60% of their two-point field goals. I'll repeat that. They shot 60% on two-point field goals. And I'm not saying I'm smarter than John Shire. That'd be stupid to say. But in retrospect, it sure looks like Shire's decision to sit lively may have been a little bit of a mistake because we allowed Virginia. Virginia was not scoring anyway except getting the ball in the lane. And we allowed them to get the ball in the lane while the best shot blocker in college basketball was sitting on our bench.
1: And Jason, to the topic of of the interior defense, I'm not sure if Lively would have overcome Duke's challenges with switching in this one because some of it definitely was there wasn't a shot blocker there to stop Kihei Clark or or whoever else was driving for Virginia. Some of this, I think, was actually Duke's attention to detail on, on the defense, and it was really like... It felt like they were focusing so hard on on preventing UVA from getting good looks from three that UVA was just able to outlet into the post and, and get the easy looks from two. And and so there was some sort of recovery here. I'll say that like, I, I don't know if, if lively playing 10 more minutes would have definitely affected that. I do know that it feels like this team has fallen a bit behind on, on, you know, playing that half court defense. And yes, UVA is extremely efficient. They're one of the toughest teams to defend because they're so smart with the basketball. But uh, I would have liked Duke to be a little bit crisper on on knowing where the recoveries were and and working around UVA's screens a little bit better than they did last night.
0: All right, guys, well, we've made our, our views on this game well known <laughs> in terms of what we were frustrated about and the such. Let's get to our favorite play, because there were a number of highlights for the Blue Devils in this contest. Donald, I'll come to you first. What was your favorite play in this contest?
2: Um, I think it was Derek Whitehead hitting some threes and and I, I'm not gonna single anyone in particular, but the fact again that he came back after the you know the lengthy absence that he had uh, and to come out and like you said, he was trying to find a shot in the in the first half. But the minute he started hitting threes, it felt like he kind of calmed down and you kind of saw a little bit of the of the Derek Whitehead that we have missed over the past couple of weeks. So uh, I'm gonna go with that. All right.
0: so Sam? Your turn. I think I think you're probably going to steal mine. I thought Donald was going to steal mine. Let's see if you take it. I would really have loved to take Kyle Filipowski making one free throw
1: at the end of the game. That was going to be my play <laughs> of the game. But instead, Jason, I need to see your reaction. I'm taking Tyrese Proctor's dunk.
0: Oh, you stole it from me.
1: <laughs> Tyrese Proctor's dunk uh, made me make a facial expression, uh, which I don't do very often when I'm watching the games, especially by myself. I was watching the game by myself. I'm usually fairly comatose when I'm doing that. But Tyrese Proctor had his dunk where he he came down the lane and I didn't know that he had the I like I didn't know that he had he had set up this dunk correctly. Like I thought he had jumped too early. I thought that he could have taken another dribble. He had space for it, but uh he yammed that thing home and I went, oh, oh, and I sort of looked around at nobody just to just to say, oh
0: Tyrese Proctor. So Tyrese Proctor's <laughs> dunk. Yeah. By the way, he split two defenders at the beginning of that, which I mean, like real So splitting the two defenders was was really nice. So yeah, uh, uh, it's not my favorite. I mean, that was my favorite play. I also wanted to point out, uh, not my favorite play, but a play I found really, really amusing was when um what's his name Shedrick of Virginia spiked the ball off of Ryan Dunn's face. <laughs> oh no, that was, it was so bad. I felt so bad for him. <laughs> uh, I still I laughed. I laughed. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so it was it was
1: in an attempt I think Shedrick was trying to like create a tipped offensive rebound like a like a Mark Williams oh, I get, style. I get why it rebound. happened.
0: Yeah. I get why it happened, but it looked like he it looked like a volleyball spike right off his It was pretty face. violent. <laughs> Guys, we also have to do player of the week before we go. I'm really interested in seeing your choices. Uh I'm maybe maybe I should unveil mine for I'll I'll do mine first. What the heck? Host privilege. My player of the week I went with Jacob Grandison. I thought he was calm, under control in both games. Not an easy thing to do in that Miami game. <laughs> he made guys around him better in that Miami game with some nice passing. He had four assists, as you'll recall. Played good help defense all week. Then had 31 minutes against UVA. That's his season high in minutes. He, he By the way, he played a fairly robust 23 minutes against Miami. Um, and perhaps most significantly, in this week where Duke committed... 43 turnovers in two games. Jacob Grandison had zero turnovers. So he was my choice for player of the week. Donald.
2: Yeah, so I was going to go with Jeremy Roach, uh, mainly because, as we know, I don't think there was really any player that had two good games this week. Um, So I'm actually, Jason, going to go with Jacob Grandison as well for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, being calm, especially in that Miami game where there wasn't a lot going on. Having no turnovers, and I think at that on that game, check me if I'm wrong. Uh, he was one of the few players on the team that did not have a turnover. Um, in him in, and Derek Lively and Jaden Shoot, And Jaden Shoot, <laughs> right, and Jaden Shoot played like you know a few minutes, but um, yeah, I, I think that, and also I thought he played very well against Virginia, and he was just kind of that glue that kind of kept everything together uh, to keep Duke in the game uh, for for long stretches of the game. So yeah, I, I think Jacob is a good choice, and I'm going to stick with him.
1: If I had told you a week ago that we were going to unanimously select Jacob Grandison as the player of the week, would you have reacted by guessing that Duke was definitely losing both of their games this week?
0: No. Wow. Yeah, you're right. I would have definitely Uh, thought it was a couple wins.
1: Let me. So the, the downside to this is, as Donald said, it means that nobody really had a good week because we want to be picking guys like Filipowski, Roach, Proctor, Lively. Uh, Mitchell hasn't gotten a nod for this in a long time. Ryan Young had had, had gotten a lot of player of the week uh, nominations this year. Jacob Grandison I think is I, I don't think he's gotten any yet from us. And what's interesting about that to me is that at the beginning of the season I was very high on Jacob Grandison being the shooting off the bench, the defense off the bench like being as as Donald called it a glue guy, which I think is is uh, a, a blanket term that I think we apply to a lot of different players. I don't know that Grandison plays traditional glue guy. I think of that as being like the, um, like the, the, the Lance Thomas type, which isn't really Jacob Grandison's game, but, but he did have a, he did have a pretty outstanding week. And I think if there is a really positive takeaway from this, it's that he is, you know, starting to turn back into the player that we thought he was going to be early in the season. And if Duke, wants to recover and and have good wins down the stretch and, and make a run. I do think it's important for Grandison to be very comfortable coming in and playing a lot of defense and making big shots in 20 to 25 minutes of game time.
0: All right, guys, unanimous player of the week. I like it. That's going to wrap it up for us here on the latest edition of the Duke basketball report podcast. Thank you for listening to us. By the way, thanks for the myriad of emails. Probably the first time I've said myriad on a podcast this year. So, Oh, myriad is, is
1: one of my favorite terms. And I I believe it's appropriate. You can say a myriad of, or you can just say myriad emails. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. There you go. Thanks for the myriad emails then, all of you. Don't forget, we're always checking that DBR podcast inbox. It is at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget, like and subscribe, all that other jazz. We'll be back. We will have more editions of DBR Bytes including one coming up previewing the Notre Dame game, all the other news going on with the Blue Devils for
2: yeah, Donald, you have something? Oh, really quickly. I know we're going to preview Notre Dame, but I will be at the Notre Dame game on Tuesday uh on press row. So, if people are going to that game, I'll figure out a time to kind of meet up with people uh before the game and I will let you know either on the Notre Dame preview or or we'll we'll figure out a way to get to you. But yes. Hopefully, I'll see some of you guys on Tuesday. I
0: love it donald attending the game i'm going to be going to the virginia tech game in a couple weeks as well we're getting to a lot of games this year the dbr podcast on the move anyway that's it for this episode for donald and sam i'm jason thanks again for listening here's the duke band to play us out and take us home